1: welcome into the pod is the roof the official unc basketball podcast of the field of 68 i am your host riley davis joined as always by my co-host jacob karabatsis and today we have a very special guest uh you may know him as the only member of the 2022-23 north carolina Tar Heels to shoot 100 percent from beyond the arc it's jackson watkins former walk on jackson how you doing man
2: pretty good thanks for having me that's a very generous stat to uh you know, throw throw my way in the intro, but I'm um, excited to be here. Excited to talk uh, Carolina basketball.
1: Well, you know, I gotta make sure people remember that because you did get UNC fans biscuits. Like, do you, do you have any? Is there an official statement on that? Is there anything that you want people to know? Like, uh, maybe an "I'm him" drop something like that. Like, tell the people <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: that guy. No,
1: um, no, I'll just say
2: like, I think this is in my Twitter bio, but I'm a really proud member of the two time biscuit getter club. Um, we don't have a trademark yet on that name and we don't have merch yet, but, uh, yeah, that's sort of, that that was my claim to fame, I guess.
1: I love to hear it. And, you know, before we get into the game breakdown, we are going to talk some about Carolina's win over Florida State their 10th win in a row uh, we were just speaking off air it feels like something we just expect these days for UNC to keep winning even when they can win a little ugly can win a little gritty but Jackson I first wanted to hear even how you ended up walking onto the team like I know a little bit about the way Carolina does things with having JV players who try out and make the team and everything what's your story with that?
2: Yeah, and we were talking about it, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, but I think coming out of high school, I sort of had two options and two routes I was uh, sort of thinking about, um, one of which was playing at a Division three school, you know, it was going to be a smaller school that, you know, maybe people didn't even know the name of. Um, it would be fun playing and it would definitely be a guaranteed spot, but um, I didn't know if I was fully committed to that route. Um, And then on the other hand, I thought, you know, maybe I'd I'd take my chances and come to Carolina and uh, try out for the JV team and see if I can walk on. Um, And fortunately enough, I think I sort of took a leap of faith and, you know, decided to go the big university route. Um, Early on, a lot of people don't know this, actually, but I started on the women's team, like playing on the scout team um, my freshman year. This was before JV tryouts. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really fun, like, getting introduced to the program that way and still staying in shape and everything. And then JV tryouts rolled around. I tried out. Um, I was one of three freshmen to make the team. It was myself, Dewey Ferris, and Rob Landry, who I I think – here's a stat for you. I think we (laughs) might be the first, like, JV class, like, incoming class to eventually all get pulled up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't – I haven't done my research, but I feel like, uh, that's pretty rare. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And played well enough my freshman year to, you know, stand out on the JV team. Um, sophomore year sort of through COVID sort of through wrenching things. But then, Mm -hmm. uh, by the time junior year rolled around, I sort of committed to myself to stay in shape and be ready for any opportunity to walk on. And, uh, fortunately got an opportunity to try out for 10 days and, Sort of just threw me into practice and uh, made the team, and the rest is history. So,
1: wow! So even thinking back to your freshman year, that was when Roy was still the head coach. So when you were on JV, were you, you were playing for Hubert as well? No, I actually uh, Coach Davis had coached the year before me, and then uh-huh.
2: they had Coach Frederick coaching coaching us my freshman year. Um, gotcha. So it, it was a really unique time. I was actually talking to my dad about this today. Like I sort of came in at a very unique time where. You know, I got to see Coach Williams sort of peripherally, you know, Mm -hmm. being in the locker, like the JV locker room, being in the stadium, sort of getting to see sneak peeks of practice and stuff. And then by the time I walked on, you know, Coach Davis is coming in, Coach Williams is leaving. Like, it was a pretty unique time in Carolina basketball. So um, it's it's cool to reflect that way.
1: Yeah, definitely a pivotal stretch. And even I know... Not playing under Hubert under JV like on the JV team, still getting to be on his inaugural team and be part of that Final Four run, and even seeing the evolution of Frederick as well. I'm sure just like seeing him have that JV opportunity and you know being retained on on Hubert's staff has got to be pretty special. It's it's cool. You kind of have a, a unique spot in Carolina basketball history. So, um but yeah, yeah, let's 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 get into the game a little bit from this past weekend. Um, Jk, haven't heard from you yet, man. How you doing?
3: I'm doing good, man. It's uh got some little little bug or something going around. Throat's a little scratchy, so the voice is sounding a little raspier today, but uh, you know, we move. We move forward. We're talking about UNC dubs, we move. And that's all we know right now. So um it's interesting, man. This team is uh it's just not like it's just not like the past, you know. Say it every single episode, but when they were down By five at the half. I never once thought to myself, like, they're playing terrible. They've got 12 turnovers. FSU shooting 58% from three. Like, we're cooked. We're going to keep turning the ball over. They're going to hit every single shot they take. It did have that feel in the first half. But then you look at the score and you're like, wait. They should be up, like, 15 right now. Like, they should have been killing us. But that's just that's just this team, man. Like, even at their worst they're finding ways to stay in games they're finding ways like yeah they had 12 turnovers but they created eight so it's like they made up for it a little bit there they they weren't really hitting shots in the first half and then you're just kind of waiting it, it's like i say you know being a patriots fan it's like when i used to used to watch my beloved tom brady as the quarterback never there's never enough like doesn't matter you could be down 14 with 3 minutes left you're still like we've got tom brady It's kind of how this team feels. You could be down 10 with four minutes left and you have no worries.
1: Yeah, even when Florida State, I know Carolina pulled ahead by 10, I want to say around seven or eight minutes left in the game yesterday. Florida State was able to cut it down to two with maybe three minutes left. And I just, I had this feeling as like, I just don't think UNC is going to lose this because we have RJ Davis. (laughs) Um, That was like honestly what it came down to. But you know, Harrison Ingram has been making a ton of big plays. It was great to see Cadeau going yesterday as well, and really probably the best game I think he's had since the the Tennessee game. I thought he was really good again. I think it was NC State when he had like eleven and six. But um, yeah, definitely a standout performance from him. But Jackson, when you look at this team, and obviously you were a part of, of a part of this program and know some of the guys from last season, but what do you think that this squad does that they, they keep doing to extend this win streak? Like what is it about this team to where they're able to, you know, get key baskets and get critical stops and really stretch out a lead as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a lot of things that are different, right? I mean, I think that's the beauty of sort of the state of college basketball right now is that every year seems to bring something new. Um, but I'd say like we're defending at a really high level. Um, I I don't know the exact stat, but I think we've held opponents like 70, 70 points or fewer, probably, probably close to 10 games. Um, I don't know Mm -hmm. if anybody has stats on that, but like, I think last year, that's the biggest difference between last year and this year is that, you know, we were going to have to score 90 points a game to have a chance at winning when we're letting up, you know, 70, 80, um, So I feel like that's probably the biggest difference. And then sort of you add in the fact that we have, you know, a lot of different pieces that can play their role and know their role um, on offense. Like, I think, I think that's, that's been playing to our advantage a lot. And that was really evident in Florida state. Like nobody panicked. Uh, You know, when we went down, people knew what we had to do to claw our way back um, focus, just one possession at a time. And, you know the outcome spoke for itself so um mm-hmm. it was a really cool victory and i think compared to you know last year i think if we go down 5-7 you know that balloons to 15 pretty quickly um so it's really cool to see you know our guys learning how to fight through adversity and fight uh fight to you know win the game um so that's really cool on my end
1: yeah I, you you asked for the stat about holding opponents under 70 carolina has held Every conference opponent under 70, except Florida State, the first game, 78-70. to 70. Uh, The only other one to crack 70 was Louisville, oddly enough. And they're also the only team to score over a point or even to hit a point per possession from like a advanced stat efficiency margin, um, which is crazy that it was Louisville, the one team to do it. But uh, yeah, I love that you brought up the defense and this is honestly, Jackson, where I'd want to get some insight from you. Um, so this is coming from my perspective. Like I, I'm not an X's and O's guru by any stretch. I try to watch a lot of games and break down what I see, but you know, in my, at least to the, to the, to my untrained eye I should say it seemed like there was a change in defensive philosophy this year where there's just a lot more aggression whether it's like hard hedging ball screens I know they tried switching a lot of screens early on in the year Uh, a lot more of heating up the ball extending pressure when they need to Um, in some ways it reminds me of how Carolina played in 2022 when it seemed like when the calendar turned to maybe late January early February there seemed to be this collective buy-in from the team where I go back to the UCLA game um, and you had Brady Manick who was seen as like this defensive liability by media folks alike the whole year who he's hard hedging and like coming up with really crucial steals and just creating havoc where it's like, wow, where did this come from? Like uh, whereas last year, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not insulting last year's team or anything, but it just seemed like the scheme was maybe more conservative or more like Armando playing that drop coverage that, Teams could get easier shots on like what have you seen or what do you even know as far as different schematic shifts or um what you saw work in 2022 that this team has been able to replicate a little bit
2: yeah no that's a good question and it's funny you bring up brady sort of just creating havoc because i remember there was one there was one game where <laughs> i don't even remember like what brady was saying but basically um uh coach sullivan coach sully he was just like don't worry about what defense we're playing, just get in the way, <laughs> and, uh, Brady's like yep, yeah, that's all you gotta say, but um, no, I think I think this year, I mean, obviously I'm not in the locker room, like I don't know exactly what what defenses we're playing against each opponent, but I think from my from my perspective, it looks like we're icing a lot of ball screens um I didn't know that terminology really coming in. the program but it's basically where you don't even allow the guard to come off the screen you just keep them you know on the sideline and you know in 2022 when we went on our run we were icing everything and Mm -hmm. i think when you keep the ball on one side of the floor you know there's only so much you can do because there's so little space um and i think even if you have a really good guard who's crafty and you have a really good big rolling like as long as you're bought in on the sort of weak side of the defense, you can mm-hmm. help the roll you know you can tag them when they're rolling um and with a guy like Mondo being active, you know around the ball screen, like he's really I think he's an underrated defender in terms of like being active with his hands. I remember in practice I'd come off a ball screen and he'd tap the ball away when I thought you know he was back like um I think he he is underrated in that perspective, but I also think we're switching a lot, which is helping us um especially having guys like Cormac and Harrison who are you know skilled wings who can Mm -hmm. guard basically one through four it just makes life easier when you don't have to you know if you're not guarding the five men you're switching everything it just makes life a lot easier for everybody so I think ball screen coverage and you know the fact that we're switching a lot um it, it seems like things are working
1: yeah uh Appreciate that insight and I love what you said about Armando uh, JK would you care to take the mic and make another case for Armando as ACC defensive player of the year because listen you know he had a good, mean, great game defensively
3: I, I just think that like I do think that the scheme has really just allowed him to and I think you know it's kind of like you said not necessarily saying anything bad about last year's team but I think it's a personnel thing that's allowing Armando to kind of to kind of almost roam like he's He's essentially roaming now and he's able to impact every single shot at the rim. And, you know, it's first off, like a guy like Harrison, who's a dog is just there switching everything. Cormac is there switching everything. And they've done a really, really good job of being quick on their switches to ensure that like, if someone does get a mismatch size wise with RJ or Cadeau, like, Typically, they're only letting the mismatch sit for like four seconds before they're either doubling to force it out, getting the switch when they pass it. Like, they're doing so many things. But Armando, he's probably not going to lead the ACC in blocks per game. But if if we were to look at the advanced analytics here, the field goal percentage when Armando is contesting shots at the rim has to be extremely low. Like, if I had to guess... I'd say he's probably holding opponents to like low 30s. It might even be lower than that. But it's just making his life so much easier, man, because he's – it's trust. Like everything is trust. They, they're they bought in. Like Jackson said, when you're bought in, that's when the defense clicks on all cylinders. And I just think every single one of them trust each other to be in the right spot right now. So Armando's not hesitating. When he sees something weak side that he can go contest or block, he's doing it because he trusts that Harrison's there or that Withers is there, that Cormac's there. So I really think that like it just comes down to trust. And if UNC continues this, say they finish with like one or two ACC losses, I'm going to stand by what we said last week, and it's they have to sweep the awards because RJ is 100% the player of the year. Hubert is 100% the coach of the year. And I'm sorry, like, you can give me all the stats you want about Dunn. Virginia is terrible. I'm not giving Defensive Player of the Year to a team that's going to finish seventh in the conference. (laughs) So, I mean, I just, I don't know. Armando, I think people are just not watching the little things. I think you look at the box score and you're like, five points and four rebounds from Mondo. that's terrible. He doesn't have to do as much on offense this year. He's going to be there when he needs to be. Guarantee you, he's going to be turned up on Saturday against Duke. Like he'll he'll be there when he needs to be there. But it's the little things, and this right now is one hundred percent the best defensive version of Armando I've ever seen in his time at Carolina.
1: Yeah, it seems like he took a took it personally when people sort of forgot about him after Atlantis. Um. <laughs> I would guess – he. I mean, he's always been a very honest, candid interview, like, post-game and stuff. Like, I would guess he would admit, like, yeah, he kind of got cooked by Eric Dixon and since then just has become one of the better interior bigs in the country. Um, I always thought he, like, kind of got an unfair rap when people – like, I don't know, this is mainly just – carolina haters duke fans in my mentions trying to tell me he can't guard in space when again i always point them back to the 2022 title run when he guarded jeremy sohan who was a lottery pick like shut him down against baylor was switching on to tiger campbell like it was nothing against ucla we've known he's had this in his bag but he's just ascended to another level um yeah to even give you a stat from yesterday jacob i looked it up florida state shot 44 percent at the rim yesterday um that's not good i think like probably the the where you want to be is at least 60%. I don't, you know, have the exact numbers in front of me, but um, I think both of y'all also touched on Harrison and Ingram and sort of what he's been able to provide defensively as well. Um, his evolution has been incredible, in my opinion, even going back to the start of the year where, you know, we've known he had – the physical tools he's got like a a, probably close to a seven foot wingspan um good frame obviously but the knock on him was his foot speed or his lack of uh, explosiveness but he's sort of become this maniacal defender as well like he had that block from the weak side uh, in, in clutch time I can't remember who he blocked yesterday but yeah Jackson what have you seen from Harrison on the defensive side and how he's helped this team ascend to one of the better defenses in the country
2: yeah that's a that's a really good point um I think early on like everybody was trying to figure out their role. Um, mm-hmm. but I think like pretty quickly we figured out that he was sort of the X factor and I, I still think he is, um, and sort of to tie in, you know, Mondo to, to Harrison, I think an an overlooked part of Mondo's game is the attention he gets, uh, on the rebounding front and that's mm-hmm. opening up Harrison probably leads our team in offensive rebounds, but if Mondo's not there, he doesn't, you know, um, so Mondo sort of attracting two box outs in, mm-hmm. at times allows Harrison to get in there, get quick layups. But I'd say Harrison, he, he's not reliant on the three, but he can certainly knock down timely shots like he did yesterday. I think he started like two for two and those are some huge, huge threes. Um, but he's also huge. I mean, he's a big guy. He can back down guards. I love that little jump hook. He's patient in the paint. Um and we we like to call it the mush move where, you know, you start a three-point line, take a couple of dribbles, just start backing your guy down. And he's a really good decision maker, you know, out of that. And I think last year, like Pete would do that move a lot, but mm-hmm. you know, we didn't necessarily get the best shot out of it or the best pass. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Harrison sort of brings that, you know, not just physicality, but also IQ that we, you know, it's a patient uh, a patient player and he knows when to make the right play and when to take the shot. So I think he adds a lot to this team and especially on the leadership front. Like it seems like he has a quick or a, uh, a short memory. Like, you know, if a bad play happens, if he turns it over, he's, you know, clapping, running back down the floor. Um I, my sister was at the, uh, uh I have a twin sister, by the way. And she was uh-huh. at, um, God, what game she's at. I think it was the, uh, It was some blowout, and Harrison had that breakaway and just like completely whiffed the dunk. Oh, yeah. The
1: Syracuse game. Mm -hmm.
2: Syracuse, yeah. And so he completely misses the dunk, and Jalen like scoops it up. But she remembers like seeing Harrison just run back down the floor with a big smile on his face. Like, that's just, it seems like that's just the type of guy he is. And I think that's what the team needs.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about this last week. You brought it up. I don't know the, the numbers. I'm going to have to figure this out on my own because I don't think there's a way to look this up. But I'm telling you, Harrison Ingram, when he has a mismatch and backs someone down to the block, it feels like with, with a smaller defender on him, he shoots like 80% on those jump hooks. He just doesn't miss. Like, anytime I see them switch onto Harrison and he gets the ball and takes two dribbles, and he usually takes like a split second to feel. It's like... You said he's a great decision maker. The amount of times, and honestly, there's been a couple of them that are on him. There's been a couple that are on Armando, but there's even been a couple times where he gets that position and he goes up and tries to throw like one of those interior bullet passes to Mondo or like the dump downs over the top. He just has such a good feel, but I swear that he genuinely does not miss those shots. Like I, I he just doesn't.
1: Yeah, he's... He's been a ton of fun. Like I was pretty high on his addition when he when Carolina got him. T- to one extent, like there just weren't that many six, 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 seven wings who could play or the, play the three or the four in the portal. Like most of those dudes who are good are in the NBA. Um, I think it's been awesome to see Harrison kind of redefine his career, you know, coming out of high school as a McDonald's all American um, who had a lot of NBA buzz, even after his second year at Stanford. And I mean, I think he's going to get drafted whether it's this year after his senior year. Um, But, you know, you mentioned him smile, like getting back down on the court in a lighthearted situation. I kind of want to go the other way. And like, I kind of think he might be just a psycho on the court who, (laughs) who like brings that edge out of the rest of the team. And if you like, again, I've only ever talked to him, just after games and like post-game interviews and stuff uh electric interview would love to get him on the pod sometime um but yeah he's just like really easy to talk to and just super energetic all the time like he's doing that same laugh that he did after smoking a layup while being up 30 he's doing that when he's getting like foul calls like it, it just seems like this response that's like man- i guess i already described him as maniacal but those are the the vibes i get from it and i but i think there's like the way he carries himself on the court, the amount of, like, chirping he does, like, just brings out an edge from this uh, in the rest of his team. And I don't know. That's, like, he's been one of my favorite players to watch this this year. Like it's, He it's did bad. it on
3: Saturday. Who was it that Armando was getting into it with? Deontay Green. Yes. And Harrison, <laughs> it's funny because Harrison comes up, and he's not, like, pissed. He's not, like, yelling. He literally just, like, sticks his arm out and then looks at Deontay and just starts, like, giggling. I'm <laughs> like, dude. This man is an absolute – he's just on go at all times. He just started laughing, and I'm just like, yeah, see, you just don't mess with someone that's laughing in that yes, situation.
1: Dude. I'm sure we've all played against people like that. For me, it was in football in high school. Like, the best running back I ever played against, he was, like, telling us good job and great tackle, like, on the first series of the game, and, like, laughing when we contain him for a loss, and then he ended up rushing for – Probably like 250 yards on us. Like (laughs) those type of those types of dudes are just built differently.
3: (laughs) They are. Like he doesn't care. And (laughs) the other thing I love too is that's just one situation, but anytime there's any sort of like scuffle, he's always the first person there. Like he's not letting anything happen. But I just think everyone, I think that's the beauty of this team. Everyone has has that stuff to them in different ways. Like RJ's got that like undersized New York guard, like, you can't mess with me. I'm tougher than you. You're not going to be able to stop me. Cormac, I don't even know. Like, Cormac just doesn't have fear. He just, he just doesn't that, care. he got
2: that New York.
3: That New he York. does. He really and then knows. Cadeau, like, literally scares me. Because the way that Cadeau attacks the basket is crazy. But his quickness... I do want to t- I do want to solo this out a little bit cuz that game Saturday was special and how good he's going to be come into February conference tournament time is scary. But like Jackson, do you think there is anyone, like, I haven't seen one yet that can stop him from getting to his spot and getting downhill because he just looks like he's in a completely different gear than everyone else. Yeah, I think I think I actually tweeted that during the game. <laughs> I was like I I have yet
2: to see anybody you know, who can stay in front of, uh, Elliot. Like, I mean, I miss, I miss every part of playing. If I could still be playing, I would, but I feel like if I was still there practicing against him, he would make me fall every practice, you know, (laughs) trying to stay, trying to stay in front of him. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he was, it was on full display on Saturday and I think every, you know, everybody's sort of seen glimpses, but I, I think, you see this steady, steady rise of, you know, his impact on the game. And, you know, now he's really starting to take care of the ball. And also, I mean, that wraparound pass at NC state, like now he's, you know, got a feel for the offense. He's probably seeing things a lot, a lot easier and stuff. So it's been really cool to see. And especially thinking he's supposed to be a a senior in high school right now. I mean, that's just special right there. So Mm
1: -hmm. Who do, uh Jackson, who do the guards primarily work with? Or maybe I guess it, it could be, he's, I know Elliot's talked about Marcus Page a lot. I know he wasn't on staff last year, but what, what coaches do you think are like working with him the most?
2: Yeah, I mean, with the guards, it was when we broke down by like guards or bigs, it was, mm-hmm. it was primarily Coach Fred or uh, Coach Lebo. I mean, getting to learn from Coach Lebo was probably one of the coolest parts of my experience. Just, you know, with how how legendary of a player he was at Carolina, like just his knowledge of the game is special. And I think, I think he's probably doing a really, a really good job teaching Elliot. And, you know, I
1: know Marcus is too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. With, with Lebo in particular, I'm, i just, I mean, it doesn't have to be funny or entertaining necessarily. I'm just curious, like any stories or like what he does that was so impactful for you to get to be coached by him. And even what you, if you had a guest, like what could he be doing that, you know, is, helping Cadeau turn this corner to where – I mean, he said – Cadeau said yesterday post game that the staff is running more sets to get him downhill and everything. Um, I do think it helps when you just – I mean, you play a team like Florida State that's switching one through five and you just attack those switches. But, yeah, what are what do you think is helping him get into – like basically be set up for success and what he's learning from these coaches?
2: Yeah, I mean, these these coaches are, you know, the best in the game, the best in the business. Like, looking back on my time, I miss – I miss the players, like my teammates and everything, but, you know, right behind them, I miss the coaches, you know, I was seeing them every day. They were teaching me a lot. Obviously they gave me the opportunity to, you know, walk on and be part of the team. And I think, you know, getting to play, uh, cause we sort of broke it down by scout team. Like one of the assistant coaches would teach us, you know, the opponent's plays and then we would play them against the starters and stuff. So uh, that's where I realized like how well, our coaches know ball like i i thought <laughs> i knew basketball coming in and like i learned so much about you know defensive schemes offensive schemes what types of shots to take on offense what types of shots we want a team to take on defense like they're just so knowledgeable and they have so much experience um you know coaching that i have full confidence that they're making every you know necessary adjustment and trying to get the best they can out of each player and I think we're sort of seeing that like you know you want to break down each player's individual game and you know improve their individual game and I think when it comes to practice that's where you're really trying to build up you Mm -hmm. know your team's ability so I think it's a mix of probably, you know, getting the best out of each individual, but also making sure they know their role, making sure everybody meshes together. And, you know, I have, I have full confidence that, you know, they're taking advantage of everybody's skills and, and strengths.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Just you talking about that and even different schemes you learned under coaches, I know I've been harping on this defense. I mean, J.K. and I have talked about this a lot really over the past month and a half. I just, like, I can't get over the fact that um, this team was, like, 50th or 49th in defensive efficiency on Kim Palm after the UConn game, and they are fourth right now. Like, that is a monumental turnaround um, I know players have talked a lot about coach Sullivan and like his impact on the defense. Like w- when you were playing who, I mean, maybe it was Sullivan who was like the, the coach who would get on y'all the most about defense. Like who was the one who was amping you up the most to, you know, get out there and check somebody.
2: Yeah. Sully was huge. I mean, he, you know, he wouldn't talk, you know, a lot, but when he talked, you know, everybody listened and it was usually cause you messed up. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think, offense is easy to fix like you know I don't know offense is easy to fix and it doesn't tend to like win you games at least that's what people say so like defensively that's where everybody was really clued in and like okay if we want to really win it's gonna have to start on the defensive end so the hardest practices were always you know when we were sort of screwing up on the defensive end um and I think like Jack Emanuel um 2005 national champion he was on staff uh you know when I played um and I actually fun fact I played with him on the women's scout team because he was an assistant for oh, the women no, no. so I sort of knew him coming in which was awesome and he would really get after the guys um because he would he could tell you know if you weren't a 110 percent, and you know he'd he'd call you out on it so um I think yeah like Sully and Jackie were were definitely the uh the big defensive guys, and Lebo as well, Coach Uh Lebo. uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, you mentioning – okay, I got to ask. This is going to open up an old wound. Uh, (laughs) Home loss, Dean Dome against Duke last season. I think the final score was 63-59, or it was after one of the Duke losses. Uh, Jeremy Roach hit a go-ahead bucket off a ball screen, said something post-game about how, like, he knew that Carolina wasn't going to communicate – Was that, I'm guessing, like that's obviously something the team hears. You know, you, I, I, no one's oblivious. We know players are on social media, they see that kind of stuff. Was that something that was addressed in practice? And was that one of those practices that was like, oh, shoot, like Sullivan's about to get on us for this? Or,
2: (laughs) yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, geez, yeah, I sort of forgot about that, honestly. But yeah, that, I mean, at that point in the season, that's sort of just how things were going. Like it just felt like nothing. No, everybody was on a different page, it felt like. And obviously, I guess it was obvious enough for, you know, Roach, who's a, who's a great player, like, to take advantage of that. So, I don't know. Like, it, I I sort of forget the practice after that. Because um, for me personally, like, I, having started that game, like, it's all sort of a blur because I was just so pumped up on, like, adrenaline. Uh-huh. So, I don't remember much from that game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the
1: annoying, like, that's why I hate Duke. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I, I can bring it up now because he's not going to be saying that after Saturday. And that's not me. I think UNC will win uh, this upcoming Saturday against Duke. But even if Carolina loses, one thing is for sure, like this team communicates on defense. They're locked oh, yeah. in. They're synced in. It's it's awesome to watch. But yes, yeah, so we can go ahead. And I, I don't want to get to Duke quite yet because I do want to talk a little bit about Georgia Tech on Tuesday. Um, JK, you got anything you're looking for out of this game? Know um, Georgia Tech is bad, but I mean, they, they beat Duke once they beat Clemson at Clemson. Like they have some decent talent is it's, they have dudes with pedigree.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the number one thing for me that I hope there's two things. I hope the guys use chips on their shoulder for this game. One, how historically bad UNC athletics is when they go to Atlanta and two, <laughs> That this team beat Duke and then hung with Duke. So if you can blow them out, it's like another slap in the face to be like, Duke, how did you guys lose to this team? They suck. But I mean, the number one thing is you have to prevent a Miles Kelly game from happening because that's the one blemish and it's obviously been a lot better this year, but it did happen early on with Eric Dixon and stuff. UNC has had a a tendency in the past to kind of give up big games to, to dudes. You know, we've talked about the Ellis games in the past. You know, you talk about the Dixon game, just don't let miles Kelly get going. I mean, realistically, this should be a blowout. And I mean, UNC is probably going to be what on the road, 12 and a half, 13 and a half point favorites. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a nine and 11 Georgia tech team. I just, you know, in the in the past, this is a game I would have worried about where I would have been like, okay, eventually the old, the old woes are gonna come through. But no, I'm I'm past that with this team, man. I'm a believer. I think everything they're doing is legit. I think if anything, yeah, they're they're gonna they're bound to lose a game or two. Like it's gonna happen. But I think this is who they are. I think this is their identity. And, you know, I don't think there's gonna be anything to worry about. I, I really don't. I just think I think the ultimate key that we talk about on the every podcast basis is that it's a different gravy when you can play defense and you know, like Jackson said, even last year they, they pretty much knew they needed to score 90 if they wanted to catch it, if they wanted to get out of there with a win, this team's not thinking about that because in this team's mind, okay, we're cold, we're cold from the field tonight. We'll give up 59, 60 points, still get out of there with a 12, 13 point win. I think that's just the difference. And I think that's why I'm fully bought in and don't have any worries. I think we're going to absolutely destroy Georgia Tech. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I think Carolina does end up winning pretty easily. I'm glad you mentioned Miles Kelly because he, people who don't follow ACC basketball don't know how good he is. He's so Um, good. He, to me, he's like the meme of the the cat and the pet store where the guy says, I'm going to get you out of there. I'm like, Miles Kelly, please go play somewhere other than Georgia Tech like that. <laughs> I, I think Damon Stoudemire will get it turned around at Tech. Like he already, I mean, he brought, like I said, he brought in some dudes with pedigree this year. Kawasi Reeves, a former four-star, like high four-star recruit. Um, found Nathan George, their point guard out of nowhere. Kid was, uh, got him out of Canada. Um, and he's had a couple of huge games. I think even... Debo Coleman, he's not, I guess he's playing less this year. He's a former uh, four star guy. And then Bay Nadongo, who's had some big games from them as well, another top 100 kid. Like, I think he'll be able to get it going, which will be good for the conference to, you know, maybe eventually Georgia Tech won't be stomping, or uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Stomping Matt. Why is this phrase? Escaping? Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jackson, is there anything you're looking, looking to out of this game? Do you want to see from Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I sort of
2: – I'm of the uh, the thinking that, you know, a win's a win. Like, as long as we can get out of there with a win, I'm happy. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it was always like – and one thing that Carolina, like, taught me is that, like, if you're playing a team that's got nothing to lose, like, that can always be scary. And yeah. Georgia Tech certainly has nothing to lose. And a win against us would – be like winning the national championship for them Mm -hmm. um so that's always something to you know at least think about if you're not going to worry about it like at least you know think about it um but i I think if we you know prepare just like any other game i think we can go in there take care of business you know as long as we're not looking you know too far
3: in the future to saturday (laughs) yeah that was going to be my thing is that's the more i think about it that's the one thing that does scare me about this spot a little bit is you do kind of look ahead to Duke and it's, you know, it's at UNC. You want to win that one bad. You're on the road for this game. Who really cares? I really just think it comes down to, I think this team's so talented and so good at what they do that it might get ugly. If they have that mindset, I still think they can squeak out a win, but I'm with you, man. I hope they prep. I hope they're not thinking about the Duke game on Saturday until Wednesday.
1: Hey, J.K., we're we're talking to a former player here who just gave us a very like a very typical "don't look ahead" type speech. We know we know the team's gonna. Oh, be not
3: Jackson player speaking <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> no, I'll uh, I'll tell you the uh, the last time I looked ahead
2: was uh, back in the fall during the football season, and we had just beaten Miami, and I went ahead and bought my plane ticket, like. Okay, um, I'm gonna come back for the Duke homecoming weekend because we're playing Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Campbell, and those are gonna be three wins. We're gonna be like eight 0 9 and coming into the game, and what do we do? We lose to Virginia, lose to Virginia Tech. So like that's why I try not to look ahead. <laughs> it always happens.
3: No, so that actually brings me to a question. Are you gonna are you gonna pull up for any any games this season? Yeah or is it too hard.
2: I've, I've been, so I was at the Lehigh game back in November, got to see the boy Rob banking that three, which was <laughs> electric. Um, and then I went to the, uh, game in Charlotte against Oklahoma, which was a lot of fun. Um, went to the Yukon game in Madison square garden since they were up here, which was really cool. got to go out with a couple of the, the uh, couple former players afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Last week I was at the weight game, so I got to see RJ uh absolutely torch them, which was fun. And drum roll, please. I'll uh I'll be there on Saturday um for Duke.
1: Hey, I will be too. We should link up. Maybe yeah, we can do a definitely. little live reaction show Hop on a Twitter space <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
3: <laughs>
1: Dude, Elite. Gonna, do you think you're gonna be uh I'm, I'm curious, like I feel like Roy would talk about this, uh, his first year, like the, I mean, the year we went to the national championship game, that it was stressful for him to watch Carolina play. And he never felt that when he was a coach, is that like when you were on the team, did you ever feel stressed during the games or like, how's it feel compared to being a player versus being a spectator?
2: Yeah. I'll say, you know, growing up as a kid, like I was the kid who was yelling at the TV or like, I, this is a funny story from the 2017 national championship Every single game in March Madness, I had never watched with my twin sister. Like we're really tight, but we, she was at practice or school, and uh-huh. we weren't in the same place. And it's the national championship game against Gonzaga, and she, I hear the door open. There's like ten minutes left. Like it's still a really close game, and I hear the door open, and it's her, and I like literally turn around and I yell like, "Leave! Like go outside!" <laughs> and so while we won the national championship she was just standing in the driveway um but she was bought in I mean talk about buying in like she understood and uh so anyway that That's was true story.
1: true sibling love Did yeah. she go to Carolina
2: too? No, she went to Columbia up here in oh. New York but she's um, smart Hey, family. she
3: chose the right color scheme.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. <I> know. So <laughs> she she loves to rock the the baby blue um and she's she might, you know, I think she wants to teach down the road. Like I could see her mm-hmm. teach at Carolina because she loves Chapel Hill and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of like my perspective as a spectator to a player, I'm a very nervous and stressed out spectator. But while I was a player, I sort of always felt like we were going to win or had a chance. And like uh-huh. the most riled up I would get would be like at a ref. Like it wouldn't be about how we were yeah. playing. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm sort of on the other side the first time back in the Dean done watching a game, I was like really sort of antsy. And like, I felt like I would, I felt like I should be out there almost like I was late for work or something, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely
3: different, but getting used to it. Is there ever a moment where you watch, um, where you're just, you see something go wrong on the court, timeouts called, and then they show the huddle and one of the coaches, whether it be Hubert, whoever it's going crazy. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I know what they're getting. I know what they're getting lit up for right now. I know what he's saying.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And it's it was funny. I think the uh, it was the lead or no, it was the uh, the wait game because we were down at halftime. Like we should not have been down, and um, the guys come out with maybe four four thirty on the clock. And usually when you come out that early, that means it was a pretty brief, uh, <laughs> pretty brief halftime message, which is always the most brutal. (laughs) So I I could tell they got a pretty stern talking to, um, in that game, because if you're coming out with maybe a minute left, like, okay, you were talking about something constructive Uh and, (laughs) but they came out with four minutes left and I was like, yeah, they just got it.
1: (laughs) It was funny. Like there, I can't remember if it was in the first half or the second half against Florida state, but it was after some mistake and they showed, I mean, it was maybe the most animated I've seen Hubert on the sidelines all year. Um, I'm like, is, are we sure this dude never cusses? <laughs> Cause he looked so, I just don't know how you get that animated and that upset and just completely censor yourself. Like I am a man of faith myself, but like, I have a hard time censoring myself when I'm like, it's getting... a skill. like I, I think it's a skill.
2: Cause when I get angry, I, I don't remember what I say. <laughs>
1: but yeah i mean i love seeing i feel like we've gotten more fiery hubert this year which i love because I, I, obviously everybody goes back to the live action moment uh i guess you didn't even hear that because you were at the game on the bench but like with, with hubert saying that at the at halftime but um yeah i think a fired up hubert
3: is uh the best kind of hubert <laughs> i'm with that should, should we move into our uh into our final segment with our with our special guest here
1: yeah, you can you can leave this one, JK.
3: Okay. So at the end of every pod, play a little play a little game. Pay some respect to the program with the game we like to call four corners. So we're gonna give you a couple categories here, and you're just gonna give us your four answers. So number one, you are a biscuit boy. I was there for for one of the biscuits, and I gladly rejoiced in my free biscuit. So that being said, what is your top four food items from Bojangles?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, with without having to say much, like, like number one's got to be biscuits, right? But Absolutely. If, <laughs> if I'm going to, like, I don't know, the bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits specifically. I know that's not the deal, but, like, that sandwich is a piece of goodness that I really appreciate. Um and honestly I don't like I don't go to Bojangles all that often, but I'd say like the regular biscuit, the bow berry biscuit, mm. the sweet tea, obviously. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, I guess the bacon, egg, and cheese.
1: You could, well. so you you're going uh bacon, egg and cheese over Cajun filet?
3: Yeah. I've
1: actually I haven't tried the
3: Cajun filet. Really? Even I'm also egg? a bacon, egg and cheese advocate, I must admit.
1: I can't believe be I'm the only guy. one here. I'm the only one holding it down for the Cajun filet, Jackson. When Listen, this I'll, weekend, occasionally, you gotta...
3: I'll occasionally do a Cajun filet. I like to add, you know, get the one with cheese, add a little bit of extra to it. But man, when they get the bacon crispy on the bacon, egg, and cheese, it really just hits different. Yeah. Maybe, maybe
1: I will
2: try the
3: Cajun filet though this weekend.
1: Get you occasion filet like either Saturday or Sunday morning. Actually, you ever go to Sunrise Biscuit in Chapel Hill? Oh yeah, that's the okay. spot. So, because uh, I'm like you don't need to go to Bojangles on Saturday. Get get Sunrise Biscuit Kitchen instead if you're getting. Biscuits. Yeah, my uh, the
3: Sunrise my Cinnamon Roll hits every time. I love
2: Sunrise. <laughs> my roommate and I would go like a lot of Sundays. Like we just go drive down, get a Sunday morning Sunrise Biscuit. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we
3: would... so I got one more. This is a this is a fun one. I was torn between two, but so obviously, the transfer portal is absolutely massive right now. Everyone's transferring in and out. So, you know, you would not you wouldn't trade your time for UNC for anything. But if there was a walk on transfer portal and you were there, what would be the four schools? It could be for any reason. It could be for environment. It could be for their gear, education, whatever. What would be the other four schools that you would go to besides UNC?
2: Dang, that's a really good one because, like, I would never think about that if, <laughs> if you hadn't asked. Um, okay, I'd say in in no particular order, but I'd say Texas is going to be up there. Um, I grew up in Austin until I was eight, seven or eight. Um, so, like, if the Longhorns are playing, I'll root for them as long as they're not playing the heels. Uh, so I'd say Texas, and it's like a big school, you know, so, you know, similar vibe to Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, probably like UCLA. Um, I toured out there, you know, when I was in high school, I like toured the school, really like the campus. I like California, so, and just a historic program. Um, I'll tell you, never in a million years, Duke or Kansas, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those those are the bottom of the line. <laughs> Um The other two, maybe like, hmm. I feel like Villanova. Like, I don't like Villanova, but if I could go
1: play for Jay Wright, like if I could mm-hmm. have, like that would have been really, really cool. Um he would have had you posting up other guards, inverting the offense. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, would have had a lethal jump stop and pivot. Like yeah, Jalen <laughs> Brunson would have taught me well.
2: Um, <laughs> all right, last one, maybe like
3: maybe like Oregon for like the gear and everything. Mm-hmm. That was gonna like, be the guess for me. Like I feel like Oregon would be in anyone's top four because the gear is just otherworldly. Yeah.
1: I think okay. Um, as far as West Coast schools go, I think Arizona's gear is cooler. I think Arizona has some sick jerseys. Yeah, their throwbacks do. are dope, and I bet Tucson would be cooler. I've never been to Tucson or Eugene, but I would guess Tucson definitely less cold. Probably.
3: Yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking about it from like if you if you go to Oregon, you get all the player exclusive Jays. Good point. And I didn't think about that now in the nil era you could sell them you could probably make a smooth like 50 grand off player player exclusives so i mean you're kind of getting an nil back
1: yeah. jackson what were the best J's you got being on carolina's team um
2: definitely the peas um last year we got the one like the low ones which mm-hmm. honestly are like the most comfortable J's. um so those are probably my best. And then also like the cool gray 11s. Um What else? I mean, there, there's a bunch. I have, I have a closet in my mom's, uh, my mom's house that it's just floor to ceiling, like boxes. Like I'm a collector now. <laughs> Dang, that's sick. <laughs> Love that. that's so
1: dope.
2: I want to, I really want a man cave one day where I can just like, like put them up for, on display and stuff. Like, I don't know.
1: All right. I got one final question that doesn't fit the, uh, Four Corners theme, but I just, I gotta ask like, what was the well, maybe you could give me top four even, or just give me like one or two, like the best moments from that Final Four run in 2022
2: God, it was I tell people, like, that was the best month of my life by far Um, and I, I was actually telling my mom this, like it was only maybe six days, five or six days and it feels like I mean, like, in New Orleans Mm, and it mm -hmm. feels like a huge chapter of my life. And like, when I reflect on my college experience, like those five days feel like they last a lifetime. Um, but I'd say running, I'd say jumping over the bench to get onto the court, uh, after the buzzer went off against Duke was, Mm -hmm. that was a special feeling. Um, cause nobody knew what to do. We were just like running around on the court, uh, celebrating, um, and then sort of just, like, some of the small moments. Like, we went to this really good barbecue spot. Actually, one of those hats up there is, like, from the the shop. They – I guess we, like, rented out the back. So they gave us, like, T-shirts and hats and everything. And we had an afternoon there. The, the weather was perfect. And we were all just eating and playing cornhole. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, about to play Duke in the Final Four. And, you know, that might – I was definitely nervous at that point, but like I didn't let that stop me from appreciating, you know, where we were. Um, And then sort of a last note, which isn't like a happy note, but by any means, but I think one of the most memorable sort of moments was when we lost and that same bench that I, you know, jumped over, I sort of fell over and crawled Mm -hmm. over and just picking my guys up. Like, It was an uncomfortable and unhappy feeling, like, pure disappointment. But at the end of the day, like, I got to experience that with my teammates and with Mm -hmm. my coaches, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I think Big May said it the best in the locker room after that game. Like, nobody really knows it in the moment, and I still don't know why we lost, but there's some lesson to be learned from it, and I try and learn – where I try and, you know, keep that with me, you know, wherever I'm going, like you're not always going to win, but that's where you really realize it's more about the experience and who you're with. Um, so I'd say like those three things are what I remember the most.
1: Hmm. That was great, man. I appreciate you sharing all that. I-, I-, I love the way you put it and I don't know, not to get too sentimental, but it's like, you look back to that team. That's like, there's, probably kids around the triangle growing up. And that's the first Tar Heel team they fall in love with, you know, like that, that team, I just remember the day after on that Tuesday, it's like, you can't even be mad as a fan, you know, what, what Mm -hmm. Carolina did. They, I mean, Armando, I know couldn't even walk like that after the Duke game and went out and played probably close to 30 minutes of basketball. And just the definition of leaving it again, dropping a sports cliche here, but leaving it out all out on the court. Um, going to be a fan favorite team for many, many, many years to come. So, uh, thanks again, Jackson, for being on tonight. We appreciate you making your first appearance on the pot as a roof. Hope to have you back on, but, uh, yeah, where can people find you on Twitter? And if you want to feel free to push your own podcast as well.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And thanks for, thanks for having me on here. It's, it's great to you know talk with you guys and talk Carolina hoops. Uh, you can follow me on IG at Jackson Watkins 30. That was my number. And, uh, Twitter, I think I don't even know my handle, but I think it's like <laughs> Jay Watkins30 or something. Um and yeah, I started a podcast back in the fall a couple months ago. It's called The Biscuit Show. Uh I sort of it's it's only me for now, but I try and you know give my takes and tell some stories
1: along the way. So feel free to go check that out. Appreciate you, man. I'm Riley Davis. This is Jacob Karabatsis next to me. Uh we'll be here the rest of the week. We'll be on your feed talking all things. Duke leading up to what is gonna be the game of the week. Um, you know, players can't players can't look past Georgia Tech. As media, we have the luxury where we can, you know, gas up some other games. So but we'll be talk. we'll probably be back later in the week to talk a little bit of Georgia Tech. We'll look ahead to the Duke game as well. Um, so have a good one.